0: You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor. From Equestrian Businesswomen, and you are listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business.
1: On today's show, we talk to Carrie Sarabella the founder of Snacks Fifth Avenue, about how she took her side hustle to a seven-figure business, plus how she turned that knowledge into a company to help other small business owners.
0: Harry Sarabella is a lifelong equestrian, having started riding at the age of three. While her family were not involved in horses, they supported her passion to ride and compete in the hunter-jumper discipline, which she continued into the adult amateur hunters after turning 18. While Carrie originally thought she would be a veterinarian and worked for VCA Animal Hospital, she returned to college and built a career in human anesthesiology, becoming the lead anesthesiology assistant for cardiac and thoracic surgery at New York University for 10 years. She still has an active license and stays current with accredited courses and continuing education.
1: Harry started Snacks Fifth Avenue in 2014 while still working in medicine. While out of work due to injury and surgery, she turned her hobby into profit and started her own business off a need to help her own dog's food allergies. She channeled her skill from medicine, her knowledge of nutrients and digestion, and her passion for pets into a company that is in more than 600 stores and a multi-seven-figure business with a 2,000-square-foot facility in Florida. Through her business experience, Carrie started a new company to coach other small business owners and entrepreneurs, sharing the knowledge that she learned and wished she had while growing Snacks 5th Avenue.
0: We get it. Finding a reliable hay provider is a headache. That's why Aiden Brook is harnessing the power of cutting-edge technology to solve those problems. Think about how much time would be saved if your hay, straw, and shavings needs we're all taken care of in a transparent way by a team you can trust. Aidenbrook is making that possible. Their team of market experts uses a vast network of vetted hay growers and cutting-edge technology to seek out the best products and take care of the logistics. By
2: finding the best values, they're also solving market inefficiencies and helping farmers at the same time. So stop worrying and start enjoying time with your animals. Visit Aidenbrook.com to get started. Aiden Brook, we move markets.
0: Hi, Carrie. We're really excited to have you on today uh, to talk about, you know, your uh, company and how you started it, and just learn more about, you know, what you have gone through and how you've built it up to be such a success. So we're excited to have you on.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I admire what you guys have grown, and I listen to the podcast, so I'm I'm very honored to even be talking to you. Honestly, it's
0: exciting. Oh, thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. So you have so a very interesting background. You actually started out as an anesthesiology assistant. I did. I
2: did. It was <laughs> definitely about your- Yeah, it was definitely something I didn't expect to leave behind. We definitely did a little turn, um, but it's, uh, I love, I love medicine.
1: Mm. Yeah. Have you always loved medicine?
2: I have. I have. When I was a young girl at the barn, I remember the vet would come and I would just like hang around. I'm like, so interested. And you know, my whatever it was, like, if it wasn't even just my pony, it was just um, anything that they were doing, I would just hang around. It was fascinating. Whether it was a little gory or whether it was just something so simple, it was just, it was of interest.
0: Yeah.
1: And how how do you move from like, did you have interest in wanting to be a vet and then move to anesthesiology? Or did you just say medicine is it and and pick something in medicine?
2: Yeah, so I love animals. So I I, I always thought that my path would be veterinary practice. And then as young adults, we are like, I don't want to go to school for that long. That's <laughs> a really yeah. long time. And, <laughs> and I decided to kind of just, put the thought of going to school for the veterinary practice on the back burner. And then suddenly, you know, life starts to pass by and I tried a few other things. Um, and then I started to look into also just the opportunities that came along with the growth in medicine. And I didn't want to cap out within a veterinary practice. So I, of course, had friends who worked in medicine and I just started asking questions. And slowly but surely, I started to just gravitate towards what was of interest like if i wanted to help people and i did work and i did move to um the, you know medicine for humans like what would that look like because i knew i didn't want to be a doctor i knew that i wanted to do something that um i felt that i was able to help with. I didn't want to be like in charge of the Mm. patient. I wanted to make an impact and help, but I didn't want to be the person in charge. And so a friend actually suggested I give it a shot in this program. And I did, and I actually fell in love with it. I loved it because I was just close enough to being the right hand man for the doctor. Um, but I didn't actually have all of the responsibility. So even though there's a ton of responsibility that comes with the position I had, it just took a load off knowing like, you know, it wasn't my insurance. It wasn't my patient. So, um, it was kind of like the best of both worlds and left a lot of room for growth.
0: Yeah.
1: That's, that's really interesting to be able to recognize that in yourself that you, you know, you want to have a good position, but you also know that you don't want to be the one in charge. Yeah.
2: Yeah which is weird
0: because now I am. right. I am. right. <laughs> but maybe the stakes are a little bit lower in terms of like human life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I
2: would say so. Yes. <laughs> so- did
1: anything that you did working like with the vets and in a vet practice, did anything prepare you for what you were doing in human medicine or is it completely different?
2: Yeah, so as much as I would love to say that working in, veterinary, in the veterinary hospital did prepare me for anesthesia, um, I truly believe that there was a few other things um, that I embodied as a person, but also as an equestrian that mm-hmm. hold the top spots. So for me as equestrians, we like learn at a young age um, discipline, respect, work ethic. <laughs> You know, like um, work ethic is huge. And you learn immediately, you learn almost immediately that when you fall, literally, you get back up. (laughs) So I think having those, that foundation, those like traits as a foundation that the equestrian world taught me truly not only set me up for success in anesthesia, but it also helped me throughout life because no matter where I went, these were things that I implemented no matter what type of job I had.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We hear that. I think that's a (laughs) recurring theme from a lot of people is how much they learned as kids that carried through. Yeah. And, you know, going from there and and having that career, um, how did you come up with the idea for Snacks with Avenue?
2: Okay. So I grew up in New York City. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, I can't I, tell it all. <laughs> <laughs> I know already the story in my head. So it makes me it really does make me laugh. Um I grew up in New York City and I always went to Saks Fifth Avenue with my family like as a kid shopping and it was just always just larger than life the best place to me and um you leave wanting to go back. And mm-hmm. at the same time, um I started snacks to solve a problem with my own dog at the time. Um, and so I just decided it, it, in a weird way, because, um, you know, we'll get into it, but I, I wound up off from work. But in a weird way, I wound up having the opportunity to turn my business um, into a real business instead of just a side job. Um, and it happened really quickly. Um, and the twist onwards came came natural. Like, I'm just kind of witty like that. And so it was between that and Bark Dog Goodman. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I decided to leave the other one behind because I knew I wanted to do horses and dogs. And the Bark Dog Goodman kind of left me with just catering to just dogs. dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of the skills, um, I don't think there's anything that you can really prepare for in order to be an entrepreneur. So when I kind of started Snacks, I don't think I really thought far enough ahead to know what I was in for. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: did you feel that way from the beginning or were you confident from the beginning? Like, okay, I'm going to make this work. Or did you feel like, oh, I'm over my head a little?
2: I felt both. There were times (laughs) when I was so excited. I couldn't tell if I was scared or excited. And then (laughs) there were times where I was so scared, I couldn't tell if I was scared or excited. And so Mm -hmm. you you thrive off of that. though you know, and you learn who you are as a person and you learn how to process. So that way it's not really like a fight or flight. Um, And you learn how to allow those feelings to work for you. And that really is how I started to get one foot in front of the other and take on opportunities that presented themselves, even if they were so scary um and so different. I I just always embraced both.
0: Yeah. And do you think um, you know, obviously you have to have a lot of discipline and you know being able to sit down and learn things like you did for your the medical work, um, does that help you as a business owner in having having that experience?
2: Yeah, because if there's anything that the medical world will teach you, is to have thick skin and a lot of patience. Yeah. So um it definitely helped uh develop me in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah.
1: And and what were the first steps that you took when you um started snacks with Avachew?
2: Um, well, I couldn't take many until I crossed the hurdle (laughs) with sex. Um, so that was a huge learning lesson right from the start. And the lesson I felt was just not to give up. That was the first time ever that I realized there's not a such thing as no, I need to figure out a way to make it work. And it was empowering because that was like a huge, huge, I don't want to say speed bump, but it felt like a wall at the time. It felt like I was hitting a brick wall, but it it was a huge speed bump that felt like Mount Everest. And it was the first time that I felt like, okay, so there's always a way. There's always a way. So if you just channel your energy to make it meaningful and give it a purpose there is a way you're going to figure it out. You just have to separate your emotions from your logical thought process so that you can get through.
1: And was that the biggest hurdle that you had then was with sex?
2: I would say so because I ultimately allowed the general public to help me and they were on my side. So I was very lucky that the transition into the equestrian world was extremely welcoming there's always hurdles along the way in business, but for me, I don't know, you know how it is for everyone else. For me, nothing ever felt too big. Um I don't know if it's because I went through that from the from the start with Saks and they didn't really give me an opportunity to like take a step forward. I was literally just incorporated. I didn't even have a product Yeah. So, so once this was covered by every news outlet and I was just getting traction, I was like, I need to get my ducks in a row. Like I need to ride this wave and figure out what I do next, because this can pass me by in like a second. And, um, so uh, this first thing I did was like create a few products that I haven't even, like I hadn't even like begun to think about yet, um, in terms of how to get it to market, but I was already working I was already working to get it, um, you know, approved and working with a veterinarian at the time that I was close with to make sure that things were formulated. We sent it out for testing. So I had everything in line, but I probably would have taken my time if that didn't happen. Um, It was almost like the push that I needed because it just kind of lets you know, like there is no right time. Just (laughs) get out there and do it. And that was like, if that moment passed me by and I didn't get out there and do it, I don't know how much longer I would have waited.
0: And was the the wall that you hit? Uh, was it Sachs saying that it was copyright infringement, or what was it? Was the issue yeah. with the name?
2: Yes, they did Got not it. think it was funny. Um, they didn't think <laughs> it was. <true. laughs> they were like they were just basically saying, "Look, you're infringing on our property, and you're tarnishing our brands. You're confusing our consumers." So that was one of the reasons why I chose to bring that to the public. I didn't know how to fight without I don't know I I honestly don't even know why I did it I have to be honest I always try to justify this but I don't and I just kind of put it out there and it was I was just almost looking for someone to say hey I've been through this this is like you know uh-huh. how to navigate and instead it got picked up by everyone um and so I was like oh my goodness like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: And people were on your side. They thought that yeah. it was okay. A David
2: first Goliath case. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, people were leaving comments under products on SAC saying, oh, good thing. I checked my bag when I left. I almost left with a dog treat instead of a bow tie. So it became <laughs> this whole thing. And then we ultimately settled by them just saying, look, we don't ever want to hear about you selling clothes. Right. As long as you don't become a clothing brand, then we, you're good in our book. And so um, that's obviously what I did. Um, mm-hmm. But I do, I do want to revisit like my 10 year anniversary is coming up and I kind of want to entertain the thought of reaching out to them and just saying like, Hey, <laughs> would you like to sell? Remember me? Would you like to sell our product in your store for our 10 year anniversary? Like it would just be fun to just just see. I like to press I like to like press the envelope and I I really think it would just be fun to see what they say. I don't know. Yeah. How did How did it even get on their radar? You know, like you, you hadn't, hadn't even started, right? So how did it even get there? I have no idea. I put it on Instagram, right? But I didn't uh. I was putting it on Instagram to hopefully reach like I said people that maybe were in business or maybe a friend's mom or just say, hey, let's call her, let's help her, like, you know, so a friend that I knew or whatever. Never, never did I think that um, it would be picked up or seen or put into people's faces that I would have never known. It's funny how that algorithm works. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, and then once one news outlet picks it up, then of course, you know, the domino effect starts to happen and it was beyond anything I could have ever imagined.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's wild.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like
0: that's, uh, that's a lot for a brand new business owner to face.
2: Now That'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) I have my product. Um, So, I mean, but but honestly, I don't know if I would be where I am today if it didn't happen in the beginning. As a as a person, as a business owner, um, and as a brand, because it kind of like put me on the map, and it also gave me a story, a really really cool story, right? <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and I I, don't know, I, w- I can't rewrite time, so I really do enjoy the process that I was able to go through. Mm.
1: Yeah. I mean, you have a lot of guts because there's a lot of people who would have been like, you know what? This is okay. Sorry. Sorry, Zach. Uh, I I didn't mean to offend you. It's okay. Here, have your name back. Oh (laughs) my God. Amazing.
2: Well, let's not leave. Okay. So let me just give you some extra content here. So I was crying in the corner of my apartment. (laughs) I was like, yes, I got this letter. What can I do with it? Let's tell everyone. It was it was so scary and crippling. I yeah. thought just exactly what you said. I was like, "Oh my god." With a few other words that I can't say on here. I was like, "Oh yeah. my god. What <laughs> am I going to do? This is going to shut me down. I don't even right. know. What do. So I was crying. And it did take me like a day or two to process. And I told my dad, he's like my best girlfriend. He is like hilarious. <laughs> Um, I tell him everything. And, you know, he's the one who like doesn't back down. And that was like kind of like a turning point for me where he was like, you've got to you've got to go for this. Like you've got to like give it a shot, you know, because what do you have to lose if they're going to shut you down and they're going to tell you no, well then fight it. And then you're in the same position. And then we started looking into it a bit more and we noticed that um, Chewy Baton and um, Sniffany & Co, all of the parody toys had the same situation with those bigger brands um, and they won. I felt comfortable making it public because I knew I was going to have to pay a lot right. if they were embarrassed by what they were doing and I wasn't interested in going to court privately. And my father helped me look into like how much the other companies had spent trying to fight this huge corporation. Um, And so that's when snacks became a people's brand. I put it out there looking for help and not only did news outlets pick it up, but the, the reciprocation from the community that weren't even horse people at the time. It was just the human population were like, they were like, this isn't right this is a completely different business. There's so many other things out there like this, and so right. that's just how it how it started. It is a great story, but it has it had a lot of downs to it in the beginning before I'm it sure. became a success story.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then you know, it's a lot to go through at the beginning before you even are having success and being oh like, my okay, God. is it worth it?
2: You know? <laughs> yes. Oh, there's so many things that go through your minds. I mean, I'm sure I'm not even thinking of half of them now, but you panic. You Mm. panic. They really, they're intimidating. You panic. That's their goal, right? They have people sitting there that do this every day, all day. That's their job. But, um, you know, if you really feel like you have a case and and you don't feel like you're infringing, like truly, not just like, oh, I'm not, like, you know, how people just kind of... Mm. You know, there's there's so many brands of barbecue potato chips. Like if you truly know that you have something that that stands apart from what they're accusing you of, then it's worth fighting for.
1: Yeah. And do you think that that kind of gave you the drive to be successful then?
2: Yes, because I knew that if I was able to get in, get through what I went through, especially publicly, then I was definitely able to make a few cold calls in here. No, (laughs) um, and it, it gave me a, it did give me a backbone, but it didn't, it didn't make me, I had a lot of growing to do. And I think that, um, even up until I would say like two years ago, I've evolved into such a wonderful business owner I look back at the things that I used to do, the things I used to say and prioritize, and it's, I'm a different person, but I remember very well all of the milestones along the way when I felt myself growing and whether it was like a deal I thought I lost or something that I just, I don't know, that I, I don't even know like exactly the situation, but I remember the feelings of each time. And I remember the place of where I was in the moment. And I remember feeling as though I've crossed the threshold and it's weird because you, you go, you're going so fast. Sometimes you don't even have a chance to realize like how far you've come. Right. But when I get a chance to speak with you ladies and I actually do have a moment to reflect, um, I do remember the places and the times. And you grow along the way. It's impossible to really grow that fast, that quick. And that goes back to patience. But I do think that Saks um gave me a, an opportunity to develop to develop thick skin and the backbone I needed in order to start moving forward and then take accountability for the things that I needed to take accountability for along the way in order to evolve as a businesswoman.
0: Mm-hmm. And were you still working full-time when all this was
2: happening? Oh, yes. I was. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I got injured on the job. And so I was out on workman's comp. And like I said, these were the things I was doing for my dog. He had such extreme food allergies. He was constantly Mm -hmm. put on medication and, and steroids like prednisone and medications and antibiotics for the other ones and prescription food and it was just outrageous and he wasn't ever getting better hmm. and that's when I started to just do things for him friends would come over they would laugh at me because I can't cook at mm-hmm. all <laughs> I can't even not even a hard-boiled egg and and I'm telling you the truth because I tried and I didn't know how long it took and they exploded. And I'm so embarrassed, but it's so funny because, you know, I built now this business that's (laughs) surrounded by baking and my friends would come over and they'd be like, Hey, can I have some for my dog? And, um, I would bring it down to the barn and some of the girls would, so it, it slowly evolved. Um, but (laughs) it's just like, So crazy because I just didn't think that's what it would turn into. And I was literally not clear to go back to work yet. Hmm. And so when Sachs decided to come after me, I got, I didn't know that it was picked up publicly until my lawyer called me asking me why he's drinking his morning coffee, looking at me on the front of the paper. And I was like, Oh my God. So they thought I was a fraud Meanwhile, I didn't even have um, anything going on yet. I was just giving it to friends at the time and getting incorporated, trying to prepare for what I wanted to do once I was back to work. And do I want to leave? Do I not? And so I was still at the hospital. And because of what happened, I actually needed to settle with, uh, workman's comp by proving to them, hey, look, this was not my intention, and I'm not. I mean, this is new. I don't have this business. It's just starting. Right. I have no income from this. Um, so, yes, I agreed to go back to work. Um, so I had <laughs> to agree. To, <laughs> I had to agree to go back to work for six months to prove that you know I wasn't a fraud and that this wasn't a pre-existing business. Um, right. And on the six months, I quit. Wow because it was just so beyond whatever I could have imagined it grew into such a monster the cutest loving monster ever, yeah. <laughs> ever. but it grew into this business I couldn't have even imagined so quickly yeah. and I needed to like take a chance I needed to nurture it um and so I and so I quit and everybody told me I was crazy there is not <laughs> one person that
0: even Your the dad? ones that
2: yes, no.
0: He thought you My were crazy dad. too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> even the ones that were like, oh, what a great idea. They even like fell on both sides. They it, everyone was like, What are you doing? You're leaving medicine to start baking for dogs? Like, you don't cook. What are you doing? Like <laughs> this is crazy. Um and you know, it was crazy now that I look back. But it was working. I don't know. Nothing ever felt wrong. It just, it was mm. working. That's cool. So good my gut. And thank God it was right.
0: <laughs> right. Do, is there any advice that you think would help people who kind of have that, that side passion from their regular job and how they could make that leap into making it a full-time thing for them?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think I would say, well, first I would say take risks, hmm. take risks. I understand that not everyone may be able to take risks depending on their situation. Um, yeah. But actually, but um, and some may be some may need to play conservatively, but still play, still be in the game. Um, depending on your situation, I, I would say decide, trust your gut. And decide whether or not you can take that leap. Or gradually transition. I I did have the comfort of knowing. That I was saving along the way. So taking the jump. Was with the preparation of knowing. That I saved this amount of money. And I had this amount of time. To make right. it work.
0: Right. It wasn't like I'm going
2: to kind of try. And see how it goes. It was like. This is the amount of time I have and this is when I say yes or sink not. or
0: swim yeah
2: um my it's father calculated said, risk it is. It is but you also have to ride the the wave and trust your gut my father mm. always says you know one monkey doesn't let go of a branch until he has his hand on the other <laughs> and so once i was able to know what next branch, I was grabbing and had planned out the path, then I knew it was time to jump.
0: Yeah, I like that. Yes. And I I think, yeah, taking risks is what so many people are averse to. But really, I think if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you have to be able to take risks.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's not just about starting a business. I take risks Maybe, what to this day? I mean, there's sometimes when there's an opportunity that presents itself to us, and we're like, "Oh my god, do we do this? Like, do we have the capacity to do it? Do we have the the people to do it and the capabilities?" But like, you know, you you weigh it out and you figure out whether or not it makes sense. Is this going to be the decision that reaches me to get to the next, helps me reach the next threshold and the next platform? So, you know, you'll know what feels right, but at the same time, sometimes it doesn't feel right. And Mm if it feels scary and you take a chance and who cares, take the chance, like who cares? You know, what's the worst that happens? You wind up back where you started and that's not so bad, right? Because there's Mm -hmm. so many things that could be worse. So, I mean, so take the chance and take the chance. Maybe you don't want to go a hundred percent. Well, do something that allows yourself to try. So that you're not 87 sitting around your family and, and, and saying like all these you know things of regret that you didn't have a chance to do, and you're like, I wonder what would have happened if I actually worked with this big company. You have an opportunity to find out, so take mm-hmm. the chance and see what happens. And like I said, you are always able to start again, or you wind up back to where you started, and that's not such a bad place. Mm-hmm. And if it is. Guess what? It's your motivation to try again,
1: right? And do you keep your foot in the door of medicine, though, just as a fallback, just in case?
2: I do. I don't use it as a fallback. I use it because I I keep it current because my father won't let me let it go. He <laughs> he is he's so proud of, and I am too. And he's really a voice of reason for me. And he's right because sometimes I do get a little. I don't want to say lazy, but I do, I do. I get, um, and spoiled, right? Like knowing that I have the business and that I'm truly passionate about what I'm doing. And I'm almost 10 years in, he keeps me grounded and he always says exactly what you said. You need that license. There is always a chance that you can go back. There's nothing is certain just in case, you know, you've taken the test for so, you know, Oh God! so long ago that if I tried to take it now and I lost the license, would I pass the test? Probably not. Medicine is constantly evolving. So hmm. he is always making sure that I don't put all my eggs in one basket. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I think that's kind of a good plan. I mean, I have my equi- my insurance license so I can do, yeah. you know, some equine insurance on the side. It's certainly not something that's you know that I I do often or a lot of, but it it's one more thing to have. It can be a there, if yeah, I need it. It. There,
2: yeah, exactly. It's there, yeah. and you know, to know that you have these traits that can work in your favor, it's almost like even more comfort knowing, like, okay, if I if I mess up, I have this. You know, so it, yeah. if, if you choose to take a risk and you choose to focus on something, it's also comforting to know that you're able to go back to something that you were also comfortable doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, you could get out there and you could hate, you could hate what you're, what you're doing, (laughs) you know, or in a year you could dislike your business or whatever. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: So, so do you find that um, the, the space that you're in this, like the snack space, the treats um, is getting kind of crowded and you have competition?
2: Uh, no, I mean there's room for everybody. It's like trying to. I think I mentioned it earlier. It's like trying to create one brand of barbecue potato chips. I think yeah. competition is good. I mean, what would you do? What would you do if you were in the show ring and it's just you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What is the point of that? Um, I think that competition is good. I also don't know who my competitors are. I choose to keep it that way, and I say it in the most respectful way. Um, I just don't. I I just don't know who they are because in business, in any business, every day, everything that has been great, that's been created, there's been like a hundred times more of imitation brands. So, mm-hmm. so why am I going to focus on something when it's just history repeating itself? Because no matter who you are, I mean, jeans, look at jeans. It happens with jeans. It happens with, you know, stores on Etsy and they find themselves being copied by big brands. You know, um, I don't know if I can name names on here, but like I'm saying like Fashion Nova or Sheen look on Mm -hmm. Etsy to copy, you know, talented artists that are creating work and then they just slap it on, you know, their brand. So, you know, I just choose to never pay attention to anyone trying to compete with me. Honestly, it's like a race, like it's like literally like the Kentucky Derby. I have blinders on. It's just me (laughs) in the (laughs) race. Everyone behind me is dirty and I just keep focused on staying in front. I I don't waste my time on who's doing it, who's using maybe a design, who's, um, I honestly don't even know what to say because I don't know who they are. I feel if I do that, I'm wasting the time I can use on creating a product or accommodating a new customer or branching out um, with new products. It's just... It's I can't buy back that time, so I'm not going to yeah. give it to someone that's aspiring to be me because then I give them all of the power because then I'm trying to be them by paying mm-hmm. attention to what they're doing. So, as long as I continuously like focus on what we're doing as a brand and as a company internally as well as externally, um, there's there's no way that i there's no way that I can't win,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so instead of trying to make yourself stand out, you just kind of focus on what you're doing and staying on your path.
2: Yeah. We don't do anything crazy. We just focus on staying true to who we are. That doesn't mean that we're not going to, you know, surprise you and like maybe create some a product. And I mean, I have no idea because we're not like in a position right now where we're trying to like make a splash. Um, mm-hmm. We're focusing on continuing to grow, taking on, Um, we take on a a bunch of private label customers and, uh, in the equestrian industry and the canine industry as well. Um, so no, I mean,
0: (laughs) that's cool. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: And what does expansion of the business look like to you? Like, obviously you started out with dog treats. How soon did you move into horses?
2: Almost immediately. Yeah. It wound up not being my choice. So the horse world was missing something. Mm. It didn't exist. And so there was a gap in the market that I was able to fill. It just was literally, and they say, they say this, there's someone who had said this. Um, Forgive me because I don't know who the quote is, but it's when if the opportunity presented itself and it aligns itself with the perfect timing. Mm. And I think that is something that you cannot create yourself. That was not a mistake that happened because it was supposed to happen and the timing couldn't have been more perfect. Mm. Um, so I rode the wave, as I like to say, because everyone that has a horse has a dog. So I didn't feel like it was such like I was giving up so much of the other half of the business because I was almost kind of hitting two birds with one stone. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And when did you kind of like how far into owning from starting the company? Were you like, Ooh, we need to expand. Like, did you move facilities or was it a matter of hiring people?
2: No, I actually worked out of my apartment for a long time. I mean, I'm talking like a long time. The breakers would go out in my apartment. I would have to keep it secret from my landlord. And I would, you know, <laughs> blow down, like dinner. I'm like, oh, my parents are here. Like we're cooking. My parents live in New York, like, and I'm in Florida, but he doesn't know. So I just kept, I just kept blowing the breaker and it was like oven. <laughs> <laughs> After oven, my oven, I didn't even report it to him. Um, I wound up breaking my oven <laughs> and <laughs> it was like an elect, it was like electrical pad. So it was like a touch pad, not like, so it burnt out because I was
0: <sighs> well using it so much.
2: I-, I like had this, I had it all planned out. I was like, I'm going to wait until Thanksgiving so that I can tell him I was cooking a turkey and the oven gave out because it was on for 24 hours trying to cook a turkey. Obviously, this was my not my idea because I don't cook. But my mom was like, you have to tell him you were, like, cooking a turkey. And I'm like, oh, my God. like this, So we came up with this whole plan. And then I started buying, like, little convection ovens that were, like, probably, like, 18 inches. And I had them just anywhere I could fit them. And then, like, I even had one on my balcony at the time. <laughs> it was crazy. And I had employees coming to my apartment. So I used to be, I used to tell my desk that they they were friends and I made a deal with the guy in receiving that way. I can constantly bring my package down there, packages down there and do pickups. Like it was crazy. If I thought about doing it now, I'm like, what was I thinking? But what? finally I moved, I moved out uh 2017. I still lived there, but I moved the business out finally in 2017. 15, maybe sixteen, something like that. Sixteen or seventeen. And I'm actually this is I'm still at the same property. But we went from that unit, which was nine hundred and fifty square feet. It was the smallest bay that they had, and it was affordable for what I had um prepared snacks for because I knew I had to leave because my electric was about to like <laughs> just die. Um, and yeah, and now we're actually next door. (laughs) So it's kind of nice to always sit in front of where I was because Mm. I just, it's always just a constant reminder of like, um, you know, like I said, we always are moving so fast. We don't get a chance to really reflect. So every now and then it kind of just gives me like a little like moment where I'm able to say like, Oh, look, you know, look what you've done. So it's nice, but it took us a few years and then. And then we took the jump because it was necessary and I was able to take on so much more business at that time.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And had the the business been going well enough to where you could um, kind of safely move into that without having to worry or was it like a matter of taking out loans or?
2: No, I've actually never taken out a loan. That's cool. Believe it or not. I've always I didn't pay myself for a long time. So that money I was telling you about that I allocated for, I yeah. used my anesthesia money to pay myself and live. Yeah. Like not pay myself, but you know, uh pay the rent and for yeah. what, like my groceries, anything electric. Um and then I never took money from the business. So mm-hmm. I didn't start paying myself actually until maybe like 2 or 3 years ago. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. Yeah.
2: You know, I, I just felt like it was so much more important to, I mean, if I needed to borrow, it was there, but I never solely allowed my company to be my provider because I wanted to focus on like its success. And if I paid myself, then that was one less person I could hire. Hmm. So it would have felt greedy to me. So I just constantly found a way to use the money to go back into the business as an investment. So that mm-hmm. way I was able, Constantly evolve and expand.
0: Yeah, and and what does your current business look like? How many people do you employ, and and how much do you do day to day?
2: So I have thirteen employees at the moment. Um, wow. They're on different shifts and stuff. So we try to keep the days nice and long. So we have like different um, shifts that come um, during the holidays. It's a little bit different. It's crazy. Um, it's like 18 to 21 people. Yeah. Um, and the day to day, um, the day to day looks in terms, do you mean in terms of like what a day is like or production? Like, so in terms of production, like, you know, we're doing at least 15,000 treats a day, I would say. Wow. Um, and then in terms of day to day, um it varies. We try to set the schedule up for I'm laughing because um our floor manager, I just had this conversation with her on the way in because I asked her I was like, How's the day? How's it going? She felt overwhelmed. I'm like, Did you plan your day? She's like, Yes, almost. I'm like, What what are you waiting for? The the day is here. Like we're getting we you know, because I just feel like you don't feel as overwhelmed if it's on paper because then you can make decisions and it's not just scrambling in your head. So yeah. um, but on a day to day, we always are playing chess. Because something is always coming up, a new a new deadline needs to be moved. Um, you know, we still have to fit in R and D. We have our private label clients. We're working, mm. you know, in helping to design the bag if they want um, the artwork. So, you know, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot that goes into the day to day. But production wise, we're like at fifteen to twenty thousand treats a day on average. Mm.
1: Do you have your own storefront?
2: No. I always thought that would be a great idea, but A, no one's bringing their horses and equestrians are so spread out across the country, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but a dog boutique or something of that nature is something I always wanted. I just haven't fully thought it through because I'm trying to watch the way the market is operating. It really does frighten me that Amazon has closed Bed Bath & Beyond. Hmm so and that's like that's a that's a big job to do and they managed to close them so I'm trying to just watch trends to see if brick and mortar really does make sense or if everyone's buying their treats online um so I'm really not sure but it's always been a dream of course like I went into a wolf gang recently and I'm like, this is so cute. I love right. it. It's all- I have a chandelier, yeah. You know, but I kind of have, you know, they're also, um, a client. So I kind of get to have a little bit of my doggy boutique experience by selling to all of the dog boutiques, but I have not yet decided if I'm going to open my own. It's really, it's a different time right now. It's such a different yeah.
0: time. It's hard.
1: Yeah. What what kind of what are who are the people that you employ? I guess is what I'm going to say like are they bakers? Are they yeah. artists? Are they
2: veterinarians? Like who who are they? Believe it or not, they're just regular people. <laughs> <laughs> I choose not to have any horse people and I do also prefer to have someone that maybe doesn't necessarily have a ton of experience because it's a different type of style. And I like to train the people that come in because we offer different techniques. So you may have gone to school for pastry, but the tech, not all of them, but some of the techniques that you may have been trained for um, may not apply here. And I also don't want to feel as though someone's not getting true value out of something that they wanted to do. So I try to allow people to come in and almost find their craft, really. So we train them and we give them a lot of education, a lot of training, and just teach them start to finish. We go in levels. So there's like your basic level. And then within two weeks, you move to the next level and then the next level until you're just participating in the weekly training that we have that really helps sustain what we're providing to clients, um, but also new techniques and helping you do better on certain things that may be your weaknesses. So we always try to like just bring in people that have an interest that we can help them evolve into something. Because And I, I think it's great too, because everyone that comes here doesn't even know that they like know how to do it and or that mm. they would like so, it's also really fun to watch people take a lot of pride in something that they didn't even know they had because now this is something they can have for the rest of their lives. Yeah. No matter where they go, you know, they can go work at a bakery. And right. I love to invest in them. They make me so proud. I love them. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I too. Because I cannot do this or even sit here with you and do cookies at the same time, they're right. literally everything going. Um, I'll give you guys a little tour before you go since we're on video. Yeah. Um, okay. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, there's there's something to be said about like my, the culture I have here is incredible. I mean, and I'm not just saying that I can have any of these girls come hop on here right now and I'll walk out and you can ask them yourselves. And we mm-hmm. just have a really good energy and a good culture. I hire in a very strange way. I choose not to hire you know, certain people, even though they're extremely talented. So I, so to, to really cut it down and make it simple, I would rather hire someone that has a really good personality, gets along with the team even, and, and they have no talent yeah. yet in terms of what we need them to do, rather than to hire someone that has so much talent and we bring them on and they're toxic to the team. I yeah. will get rid of you faster than you walked in and it's something that I've done. Everyone knows it. It's tried and true. And it is—I, it's my responsibility to protect them. This is where they're spending most of their days, and I need them to feel comfortable. And then I need that to translate to what it is that we're putting out to the customer. And so I essentially—oh, um, I love this quote. There's a so I think it was Richard Branson. He said, "Teach them enough so that they can leave." but treat them well enough so that they don't want to. Yeah. And I yep. live by that, live by it.
1: That's great. That, yeah, I really like that. That's an interesting way to look at it, but for sure. Um, you can't I be think afraid that's... of
2: letting someone go. Like you can't hold them hostage just because it's like, no, you should like, you know, a lot of people feel like if I don't teach them, then they're going to feel intimidated to leave. But I... I've had people here leave and I had so many people thank me, you know, and they, whether they've gone and they've gone to work at like Publix or someplace else that allows them to use their skill, but they feel like they want so much more. And it's incredible because it's a skill that they want so much, they want so much more for something they didn't even know they were able to do. Hmm. And so it's nice, but our turnover rate is not high. And I feel like it's a testament to exactly the culture that I provide them. And the example that I show, because I hate when they call me their boss, like, I just try to be the example first. And then as a leader, they're then more inclined to follow.
1: Um, Question about your training program. Is that something you put together? Or did you have a team help you put it together?
2: No, I put it together. I put it together myself. And um, it's basically all of the things that are needed in order to excel in the production that we have, but um, it's set so that it's not intimidating because I don't want someone to leave just because they don't feel like they're able to do something. So it's structured in a way that it um, alleviates pressure but gives just enough, uh, but allows them to also work with positive reinforcement so that the next level also doesn't wind up seeming intimidating and it's almost like they want they actually wind up asking for the growth um so it's structured strategically based off of my experience of employee management and just kind of observing trends that happen w- within a workplace and with employees themselves because it's it's very interesting and I don't think enough employers pay attention to employees and if you do, they're telling you exactly what they want.
0: Hmm. I like that. Yeah, definitely. And do you think that experience of kind of coming up with that training program and and teaching your employees is what inspired you to become a business coach?
2: Yes, I do. I feel like there needs to be more knowledge on how to run a business because the driving force are the, it, it is the team that you have. And a lot of people don't know how to keep that team. And a lot of people get on a power trip. A lot of people expect certain things, but they don't want to do those things or they don't want to be an example of what those things are. Um, and then that in combination with other businesses actually coming to me, asking for advice and counsel, hmm. helped me realize that I have so much more to give And it was really fulfilling and I've stayed in touch and I want to allow myself to stay on the path with them so that I know from start to finish, I've really helped them accomplish what they were trying to accomplish. Um, And it also helps me constantly develop myself as a business coach so that I'm providing value. There's nothing I hate more. I've been buying courses um i've since I've started to evolve into this role i've been purposely buying courses online from people that i think would be so incredible to listen to i've been buying their courses and i've also been buying courses from people that are horrible okay. to purposely listen to what i never want to do what i should never do and what i never want to be i want to see what you get for value and sometimes it, it, there's a disappointment just because you're paying so much more. I actually didn't get that much more. So it's really been a learning experience for me because I want to make sure that it's not just about, hey, book your 15-minute consultation. Like right. it needs to be exactly what I expect every time I sign on to that course. And I have unfortunately noticed that I've these courses have fallen short because it's 15 minutes of them reading testimonials about why this course is great and who they've helped. And then you get to it and you have like six minutes of them just showing you bullet points of what you need, what you should be doing, but not how to do it. And it's yeah. really, um, I think, something that's taken on a life of its own right now because people are willing to buy. And I wanna help fix that by allowing someone to say, Holy crap, I have so much information that I and I don't know what to do with it, but I have a plan now.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's really what I've been doing with anyone that has either booked a, booked on Zoom um or have chosen to come here to the bakery. They wanted to do it in person. And I just truly love knowing that they leave with value, but they leave with like so much meat on the bone yeah. that they don't feel like empty. You know, they leave and they have a plan and they're like, oh, well, that's much better than I expected. It doesn't seem so intimidating now. And then they know I'm, I'm also there for them. So they're not alone because the one thing I did find, if you don't mind, if I could elaborate on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I just noticed during my time while I was growing snacks, I reached out to a lot of accounts on social media, as well as via email to um, other business owners. Kind of asking questions. The one thing I was never afraid to do was ask questions. I didn't care if I looked like an idiot. I didn't care if I didn't know the answer. I just asked anything I wanted to. And I also did that through email. Mm-hmm. And, and DM, of course. And I found that no one answered me. Really? No one wanted to help. It was like this secret that they needed to keep close Um, where they responded saying, no, Hey, but there's a lot of stuff online or, and you just, it's not like I was looking for the cliff notes version to cut corners. I was looking to, it's like going to school. They prepare you for something, but once you get into the field, there's nothing that could have prepared you for what it's like to actually be in the rut. Right. Right. And it was this thing. And I, I remember after having These groups of people like, you know, at this point, I've had enough people that um, that came to me and asked. And I said to myself, I never had anybody like and these these women are not asking for corners to be cut. They're willing to do the work. Right. But no one wants to help them. It's like it's almost like the question you asked me about my competitors. It's like no one. Everyone's afraid of competition because they want to stay on top. They want to stay in front. They don't want anybody to like do what they're doing. And don't get me wrong. There's times when people would show me and I felt horrible. It does make you feel bad. Like that's definitely, it's not like I'm stone cold and I, and I just never knew anything. That's not the case. People want to keep anything that they learn close to them because they are afraid that someone else is going to either beat them to the finish line or the punch or whatever. And I, I hated that. And it didn't make sense. And so I just feel like I have so much to give. And there are so many people that are in the position that I was in when I was building snacks that are looking for answers and aren't afraid of feeling like they're asking a, you know, quote unquote, stupid question. Um, and that deserves an answer. And we all deserve to succeed. And I think it's ridiculous because anyone can can want to be snacks. And there's people that do, and there's people that try. And that's okay because I wanted to be something at some point too that emulated someone else, right? We all get our, our inspiration and our idols from somewhere. Like you don't ever have a singer get on stage and say, I didn't have any inspiration. Yeah. They're always saying, I loved Michael Jackson or I loved Taylor Swift. And they were my, you know, there's always someone that they're giving credit to. Yeah. I wanted to be that person for people because I already had so many women that were asking me for advice and it was something and I could never, ever withhold information that would allow them to succeed and give them value because no, I can give them all the answers. They're going to have to do the work and they're never going to be made ever. So I'm already ahead. It's, you know, the same thing with podcasts. There's women can do podcasts, but they're never going to be you. You two are incredible. There's nothing anyone can take from that. So, to hold information that can allow someone to do well without ever being your competitor, or even if they are, is already setting yourself up for failure. And I Mm -hmm. find that to be greedy and I find that to be ridiculous. And I just, you know, and it, and sadly, it comes from the same mouths of people that say they're women advocates or all for, you know, women supporting women. And I've watched it and I'm just like, no, you're not. No, you're not. It's disappointing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, you know, I want to call a spade a spade. I do it quietly. I don't call people out. But my revenge is I'm coming for you. You can answer as many people as you don't want to. But I'm gonna help as many people as I can, and it's not gonna be with some empty course, right? I'm gonna share my secrets, and I'm gonna just, you know, help someone take the risk, take the jump, and get inspired. That's awesome! Perfect, ridiculous. Go on forever. So (laughs) 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 it makes me so annoyed. It just uh, really aggravates me that like people aren't willing to support other people because they just want everything for themselves. It's just, yeah. It's just. CD.
0: Agreed. Well, it's been with so much daughter. fun talking to you.
2: <laughs> no problem. I apologize.
0: <laughs> no need to. It Not at all. <laughs> uh, so, at the end of each episode, we ask the same four questions to every guest, okay. and Connor starts with the first. Okay. Oh, no. What is
1: one? <laughs> what is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives?
2: I feel that one of the good, one of the actions that women can take to make a bigger difference in their lives is understanding that circumstances don't actually change responsibility. So, you know, I need, um, I feel like removing emotion from certain decisions, being accountable for certain actions, um, help you, allow you help you to achieve the outcome that you're looking for. So just a lot of self-reflection and just understanding that your circumstances don't change the responsibilities. So if you want to start a business, you can have a thousand things going on. Your responsibility is to make sure that you start that business. And so always maintain focus and take the emotion out of it because you need to keep your eye on the prize and stay right in line with what it is that you want to achieve.
0: Awesome. What's the best habit that keeps you motivated personally?
2: Not having a habit. <laughs> no bad habits I don't, or
0: habits altogether. I don't, have
2: morning, I don't have a morning routine. I yeah. don't have like a very healthy work-life balance. Um, I I feel like my motivation is having flexibility. Okay. I don't want to have like this. I don't have this morning routine because if I don't, if you don't do the morning routine, then your whole day is thrown off and then you have superstitions that you didn't do this. I just believe that not having for me, I find not having the work-life balance allows me to take pressure off myself and the days I need to work more, I work more and the days I need to have more fun, I have more fun. And not having a, a routine that motivates me gives me motivation because there's there's nothing that's going to stop my day other than me. So like, you know, there's no superstition and there's no pattern or anything. Like the motivation I need to, I try not to blame anything um, on external. Like I need the motivation to come from myself, not because my day was messed up because I didn't wake my bed and make my protein shake in the right order. So I, my right. biggest thing is by not having habits.
1: That's great. That's actually kind of cool. I like that idea. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think that definitely works for certain people and and the way that they work best for sure. I mean, there's plenty of people who need that routine and who need that structure, but lots of people don't.
1: And And I will tell you, like I'm, I'm a person of structure, but uh-huh. I it can ruin my day. Like if I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I I plan to do X, Y, and Z, and then I got thrown off at X, and I don't get to Z. I'm like, oh crap! Like I can beat myself up over it. Oh, you yeah. know, like I didn't get to the gym, or I didn't do as long at the gym, or I didn't ride my horse, yeah. or you know, like so I could I can totally see like that yeah. that could be um, a good thing to try. <laughs> yeah, it's and not it's having go structure with the flow
2: structure a little bit because I know it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like it, but not having the structure. Why well, don't like to, not having the habits and not mm-hmm. having, like you said, the structure it is structure because you're still going to achieve those things in your day. Like even if you wanted to just have a day where maybe you wanted to give it a shot, right. But you don't want to throw off, you know, your whole week. I'm not telling you to take big steps, baby steps, right. You write down everything that you would normally do. I'm big at like writing things down and not like on the notepad on your computer, like write it down. <laughs> um, and you, ha- I, and, and it, it applies to everything. Even when uh, she's having like a crazy day here, if you get it all out of your head, you're still able to accomplish exactly what you wanted to do within your structured day. But you're just, you just have the flexibility to do it when it fits in so that you're not so stressed out. If you just didn't get it done within this amount of time. Right. So yeah, and then you'll find yeah. that you actually have so much more room than you than you ever realized you did to fit in other stuff.
1: Yep. Yeah. What's your favorite horse movie?
2: Danny.
0: Ooh, what's that one?
2: It's old. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Let me see if I can look it up.
0: Is that the one with From the gray horse?
2: 1976. <laughs> 1977. I wasn't alive. I was not alive. But um, I don't know how I wound up with that movie in front of me. Um, but it's like this young girl. And yes, yeah, she has a gray pony. I think it's my favorite movie. I don't know. Even just the sounds of the fo- the hooves on the stone dust. Like there's something about that movie. So nostalgic. But like, um, it's my favorite. What does everybody else say? Like Beauty and the, Be- not Beauty and the Beast. Um, black, black,
0: black beauty, beauty lot. black stallion. Yeah, and from Snowy River, yeah. uh, Secretariat. Secretary. Um, what's
1: your racing movie? Uh, sea biscuit is oh, another Seabiscuit. big one. Yeah, but actually, yeah. my my favorite movie, um, is called Sylvester.
2: Okay, it's a horse that's movie. That's the one I'm. It's a horse of movie, with the gray yeah. horse.
1: and that's a gray horse, yeah. yeah. And she, she takes him from like a bronc pen, and she makes him into mm-hmm. like a three-day eventer. and that's been my favorite since I was a kid.
2: <laughs> oh my god, yeah, Danny with she, she has a gray pony. I think his name. I think his name is Danny. Um, and she shows, and it's like, oh, I don't know. I'm sure, like you'll watch it and be like, it's. Terrible. Like, but I don't know, as a kid, it was just like moving movie. Right. I watched it over and over and over again. And I was like, oh my God. Now that I just looked it up, I was like, oh my God. wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, um, who would you recommend to be a future guest on this podcast?
2: Have you done anyone from
0: Cavalli Club? Uh no, but we know well, we know the person who kind of runs it now, but not the person who started it.
2: Oh okay. Um have you done Ruspari? Yes. Yes. You, have, yep. you guys have it covered. Um, <laughs> <laughs> have you done anybody that's working in the equestrian industry as an influencer? No. Or a social media marketer or um you know, okay, so I would recommend. Lily Rhodes.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: She has an incredible story. She's wise beyond her years. She's much younger. Um, She's a good friend to me. She was helping me with the snack social media. She recently um, started to take on, you know, more clients um, and help them with that. Um, And she's just, She's just so like a kind soul with such a positive outlook. And she she's just so eloquent. And I think that you guys would really enjoy her because she's also fun at the same time. Um, But she's creating such a space where she's essentially she's working with companies and helping them with their social media, but also helping those companies get recommendations for their products to reach other people who can say, wear it or help promote it. Right. But in a way that doesn't go straight to, you know, a major influencer. So that way, you know, that if someone's trying this on or using this product, it's an authentic review. So she's almost creating like this little space where she's able to help. And um, she went to school for marketing, I believe. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just I'm telling story, and now you got nothing to talk about. So that's <laughs> great. I think, that, I think though that she would, I think that you would have a lot of fun with her and find a lot of insight.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for joining us well, and and talking about your experience. And I think it'll really help a lot of people to hear what you went through and and how you've become successful.
2: Thank you. I really appreciate it. You guys should be proud of yourselves as well. This business is like everywhere. The podcast, I just, it's crazy. How long have you been doing the podcast?
1: Uh, it, it'll it be two years, two July
2: 1st. July, yeah. Yep. Do you I ever listen to that your first podcast?
0: I need to go back and listen to the first episode again. I yeah. Think, that's one of yeah. our most popular.
2: Yeah. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I would say definitely take time to listen back to the early ones. It's so good just to like see how far you come because you guys really, really, really are incredible.
1: Oh, Thank you so much. You're <laughs> <It's a new laughs> welcome. Join us at the 2023 Saratoga Women in Business Spectacular on July 11th through 16th at White Hollow Farm in Stillwater, New York. With this year's theme of wellness, prosperity, and wisdom, you can hear from speakers, listen to panels, participate in activities, and network at our cocktail party. Mark your calendar to save the dates now and stay tuned to hear more from equestrian businesswomen about the schedule and exciting news to come.
0: It was so refreshing to talk to someone who, I mean, I guess I'll i will credit her, it to her being a New Yorker, who's <laughs> <laughs> very blunt and very to the point of like, this is what I did. This is what it took. This is how it worked for me. Like not afraid to say, you know, exactly what happened and what's on her mind and not afraid to, you know, share that information with others, which she, you know, said that's kind of why she started that, that new business of hers of coaching others is because so many people were asking her questions and she felt it was important to be able to share that information and not keep it, you know to the detriment of others.
1: Yeah, I, I really love that point. And I also feel like it's so in line with what we're trying to do with equestrian business women and get totally. information out there to people and, and have people open up and tell their stories mm-hmm. and you know not not keep it to themselves. And so um you know I know for me, people ask me a lot about podcasting. If I mention that I have a podcast and Mm. I'm happy to tell them the steps that we took and the things that we've done, you know what, they might have a great podcast and that'd be awesome because we could always use more, but you know, like I, I would never hide that information from people. And so I really appreciate that. Like in her
0: business, she's, she's giving that information out for sure. You know who she reminds me of is uh, Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if you've listened to her or read about her before, but it was very like a little homegrown company. And she just went out and hustled. And, you know, she had to deal with so many issues in terms of production and getting her... Product in stores and that kind of very direct attitude just really reminded me of her.
1: Yeah, actually, I think I I saw her interviewed where she was like pregnant, going door to door, yeah. knocking on doors when um she was trying to sell Spanx. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, she was very very direct and a go getter. And I thought one of the very interesting points she made is about kind of separating your emotions.
0: Mm, Yes.
1: Out of business and, you know, making decisions. And I I think that so many, that's so hard to do.
0: And so many people don't do that.
1: But if you're able to, I think that it probably makes the process a little bit easier.
0: Yeah. And I think maybe, you know, you're driven by your passion, right? But when it comes down to certain decisions, I think you have to be very black and white about whether... You think it's going to be the right thing for you or not? Um, you know, and some, like she said, of of taking calculated risks. Like, yeah, she took a big risk leaving a a pretty great career to do to make cookies, like dog yeah. cookies. You know, <laughs> yeah. Most people would be like, "You're insane," but you know, she, but she planned it out, right? She knew she had a certain amount of time with money that she had saved in order to try and make this a go. And, you know, she was able to do it. And I think maybe some people rely too much on the passion side of things and not as much on the rational side of things of saying, you know, this is how I'm going to get it done. And this is how I'm going to still be able to pay my bills and put food on the table. And, um, um, but I yeah, I did like that she's able to explain how and why she did that.
1: Yeah. And I also liked that she shared the information that she didn't take money from the business mm. for quite a long time and put it back into it. Because I think that's where a lot of people fall short with their businesses, where in the beginning, especially where they're taking money out to live and they're not putting it back into the business to let the business grow. Mm-hmm. I think you have to. I
0: think you really have to put money back into it. For sure. Um I, you know, but that depends on your margins. Like Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, how how maybe you're not doing that when you're barely making any money, but once you do start, then you know, you're putting that back into it to grow it. Yeah. And and then you're set up to be able to make that next step, like for her to move out of her apartment into a proper facility where she wasn't using like easy bake ovens on her porch to make these things.
1: I know. I mean, it just, it's kind of inspiring though that she kind of
0: did that, you know, and, and did so much herself. For four years, it sounded yeah. like. For four years, she was making all of those things in her apartment kitchen. Yeah. Like, that's that takes some dedication. Um,
1: oh, yeah, and also, I mean, so maybe she wasn't um, spending, it wasn't glorious, right? right it wasn't a glorious right. way to do business. Um, yeah. She wasn't spending a bunch of money. Maybe that's a, that's a better way that she invested in her business right right is yeah. by keeping it there and just pushing through and getting it done and sometimes i think that um even like having a storefront right and right. When she said that she didn't have a storefront and she's looking at the market trends like that's very smart because yep. there's so many people who would just go out and be like oh my god i love you know walking into these bougie dog boutiques and I want one for myself, <laughs> right. well, you know, she actually Is that has a- the
0: best business idea. Is right. that what's best for your business? And she's recognized, no, it's not what's best for her right. business at this point.
1: Right. And, and found a way to like satisfy that, right. By being in over 600 stores, Right. there's, she's probably in some bougie boutiques where you sure. can walk in and feel part of it anyway. Yeah.
0: And I loved yeah. how she addressed competitors because that was one of the main questions I wanted to ask her was how do you deal with competitors? Because when I go into a tech shop now, I see like three or four other companies yeah. who completely copied what she does, yeah. like yeah. to a T. Yep. But I wonder if they put in into as much what she put into it of, you know, all of the testing and making sure it's clean and that... You know, yeah. you could eat anything that you're giving your dog, right? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, and you know, all of that hard work up front that she had to do in order to have the right formula for, um, for the ingredients. So I I did like that she just she said she doesn't pay attention to it yeah. and it's not important to her and she focuses on what she does best and that's admirable mm-hmm. because I think so many people would have a hard time doing that.
1: Yeah, getting caught up in in what other people are doing. I like yeah. the uh, the Kentucky Derby analogy of putting right. on blinders and just going forward. And I think that that is um, a good way to look at it. Because I also was thinking the same thing about like the competition and how many people seem to copy it. But I would love to know how many of those companies are are seven figure companies like hers.
0: Exactly, that are are, are yeah. as uh, successful as she is. Yeah. I would bet not many of them. Um, Right. But it's, it's cool to see, you know, that she can be single minded like that. And, um, and really it's, what's important to her is what she is doing best and that how she is helping her company grow. And, you know, the, um, like she said, the environment that she provides for her employees and finding the right nice. people to be in it—that's really cool.
1: Yeah, the culture, and mm-hmm. I mean, I could have asked a hundred more questions about <laughs> <laughs> about her process of hiring and her process of training, and mm-hmm. you know, I just I find that so interesting because I don't think very many companies do that.
0: Right? No, I don't think so either. It it takes the right kind of person to be able to do that, and to maintain it, you know, even if you're growing and you're getting to a point where you've got lots of employees, you know, how much time and effort are you putting into that training and making sure that you have the right people, no matter what their skills or experience are, do they fit into what you want rather than, you know, are they going to be the fastest at making products? Right. You know, something to that effect.
1: Yeah, definitely. I just... I thought she was a great business person, really Mm -hmm. enjoyed talking to her, really enjoyed her energy. I also appreciated that she makes me sound less New York (laughs) 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 because I know Uh, that you had mentioned that before, but I think I sounded less New York.
0: I mean, you. you sounded like you were from the Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
1: Well, we're going to get going and wrap up for today. So if you want to find the links to today's guests and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is
0: out twice a month on the 1st and
1: the 15th.
0: You can find out more at com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can find Equestrian B2B wherever you get your podcasts, but be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review so more people can find us. You also can have all 20-plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now go build your business and help others along the way.